What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 78 of the Sorry to Interrupt podcast, Monday Rundown Edition on a Wednesday this week. Had Sean on the phone. We jumped right in and we talked about the NCAA tournament Sweet 16 preview coming up starting tomorrow. After that, we talked about the NFL, uh, talked about some rule changes, a few other things. Next up, we had the NBA. We talked about the Milwaukee Bucks in depth, went up and down the playoff races, talked a little MVP, um, and we obviously talked about Sean's Brooklyn Nets since they are in the playoff race. After that, finally, we talked MLB. We talked a bunch of big-time contract extensions. Sean had a nice little rant about Jacob deGrom. Happy opening day. Enjoy the pod. Follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports, on Instagram, Sorry underscore Sports. Check out the website, SorrySports.com, and shoot us an email if you have any questions or concerns, SorrySports at Yahoo.com. Enjoy the pod. back to the sorry to interrupt podcast we're back with you i know it's been a little bit but uh we got a lot to discuss it's wednesday the 27th of april of march rather and we're a day away from opening day we got college basketball we got a little nfl we got some nba and yeah it's opening day tomorrow tom what's up buddy how are you What's going on, man? How are you? Um, yeah, I mean, everybody just needs to relax. The preview's going to be out there. Um, <laughs> we're one day in. They're not crowning the champion tomorrow, so... They're not? No, no. Well, the Yankees, but aside from that, okay. no, they are not crowning the champion, so we'll be fine. The Yankees will win, but we'll be fine. We'll be just We will. We'll, we'll be bringing the preview to you soon. Um, a lot of stuff going on, and, um, you know, this is a major part of the sports calendar so we're just trying to handle everything the best we can let's do a little recap of our bracket so we don't have will with us we'll get will we'll get will back on the horn probably next week as a preview to the final four um but let's look at our sweet 16 right now um we'll recap our brackets our personal brackets at the end i think is probably our best bet at the end of the tournament um just see how we did and shit talk each other like we usually do but let's look at the matchups and get what get a feeling for what we think. So we're looking at the East region right now. Duke who survived by far the best game of the tournament is going to play Virginia tech for the third time this year, rather in the sweet 16. They're playing on Friday at nine 39 PM. Tom, what do you think of that Duke UCF game? Are you surprised they're still around? And what are you taking from this matchup with Va tech? Uh, the Zion versus UCF game was crazy. Um, Zion versus UCF. RJ Barrett had the winning basket, my man. I, I but come on, bro, come on. I mean, Zion was <laughs> was an animal, and you know, I didn't put it on wax. I didn't say it on the air, but I just had this inkling that he was gonna foul out Taco. I, I was like, Zion's gonna brew the reason why this guy fouls out. He's too much for this guy. This so guy's not gonna know what to what do. You're no, it's just I watch a lot of basketball, and I know what I'm talking about. And Zion, with his <laughs> skill set and his NBA athleticism and his also his NBA brain, just knows exactly how to get this guy who 
doesn't fully know how to move around yet in the paint and all that stuff, he's going to get this guy in foul trouble, and that's exactly what happened, and that might be the reason why they lost the game. Because, you, you know, you think if he misses that free throw and that big seven foot six guy's in there, is R.J. Barrett really going to get the basket that easily? No, absolutely not. Totally agree. And, and Zion just had that will to, to get to the rim. He was not going to be denied. He, he was going to score and, uh, the basket. missed the three, what, like two plays before that, and you were like, oh, shit, it's over. And then he grabs – well, no, it was in the same play. He grabs the offensive rebound, and he just says, relax, guys, I got this. Makes a nice move, goes to the basket, perfect body control, and won. I mean, the fr- the shooting form's not quite there. It's, it's consistent, but it, the form doesn't look great. It's slow developing, for sure. Yeah, but that'll come with time. Yeah, and I don't think whenever he gets to the next level, obviously next year, he's not going to be expected to shoot the three ball. I think as long as he's respected from the three-point line, that's going to open up his game so much more. But either way, they win by far the best game of the tournament. It was a thriller. It was a nail-biter. went down to the very end. Johnny Dawkins and UCF, man, what a great, what a great job they did. And, um, you know, obviously – that was a heartbreaking loss for them, but they played about as well as you possibly could, having two cracks at the end there. On um, the basketball gods, you just didn't want that ball to go down. So Duke's going to play Virginia Tech, who's a four seed, for the third time this year. Uh, that's an ACC matchup. The two are very familiar with themselves, with each other, rather. And, Tom, how do you feel about Duke Tech? Is this a close game again, or does Duke say, okay, we had our one deep breath moment, and uh, now we're here to kick some ass? It's a close game. I'm nervous about this one. I know Will is going to be rooting heavily for Vatek because didn't I know he has this game? He had them going to the Final Four or something like that, and um, I'm just really nervous for this one because it's a bunch of freshmen versus versus a very good coach. Obviously, Coach K is Coach K, but very good coach and uh, Buzz Williams or something. His name is something like that. Yeah, Um, you got it. Thank you. I was just a little nervous. You with the names. Thank you, sir. He's a really good coach, and this is a uh, this is an upperclassman team, and they they already know how to play Duke. So, all those reasons make me super nervous about this game, especially how they played against UCF for the first what I don't know twenty eight minutes, something like that. I, I don't know. <laughs> you mean thirty nine minutes and like fifty five seconds? Yeah, you're right. They they didn't really turn it on until even later than that. But yeah, I, I mean to give they them had a, a couple credit. of times where they were starting to separate, and then you know they let UCF back into the game. The second game in the East region that we're going to pay attention to is LSU and Michigan State. LSU the three seed, Michigan State and March Izzo, man, the two seed. I'm LSU just, I'm just disappointed because you know I had, against Maryland, I had Maryland going forward, and I was very close to looking like a genius. But you were. Um, I I have LSU. I had LSU winning a couple times. I don't think I you had them Michigan, going this far. I have Michigan State in this game. Same same. But I had I, this but... matchup. LSU has looked really good. I know that they survived that game against Maryland. Maryland gave them everything they could have possibly they put, could have possibly fought for. But I tell you one thing about Michigan State, man. I love to doubt them, and I love to hate them. But Izzo, I know he had that controversy from screaming at his freshman on the fir- in the first game that they should have lost. They looked so good round in the second round, and I think they're poised to take this game against the LSU Tigers. I think LSU, they're just dealing with too much adversity. They dealt with Maryland. They were able to handle them barely. But I think Michigan State's going to advance in this game. I picked them too early on, and I don't have any change of heart here. 
Yeah, no doubt in my mind. I just think there's too much going on with that LSU team, and, I mean, March Izzo keeps rolling. I agree with you. So now we're going to head over to the West. Gonzaga's looked about as good as you possibly can through two rounds. Florida State is obviously a very athletic and, and strong team. This is the 1-4 matchup in the West region. This is going to be played tomorrow night at 7. I'm going to still have Gonzaga going. And Florida State, to me, you know, they can, they're a lot like Auburn, in my opinion, man. I mean, they, they can live by the three, die by the three. They can play like one of the best teams in the country, and then they can just look so lackluster. I think this game's going to be close for a while, but I think Gonzaga pulls away at the end. How about you? I'm in agreement with you there. I think Gonzaga shows that, uh, well, not championship because they haven't won, but that Final Four prowess that they've had over the last few years, and they're basically a blue blood at this point, so I think they get the dub as well. I think so. This matchup's fantastic. This is going to happen tomorrow night after the Gonzaga game. We got Texas Tech, the three seed against Michigan, the two seed. I love this game because it's it's strength on strength. I mean, Texas Tech goes to the basket. They uh, they're very physical. They they're athletic, and Michigan's an outside shooting team. So it's it's not strength on strength, but it's it's two big time strengths versus each other. More like sorry, my analogy was a little off there. My bad, everybody. But come on, I, man. I think. Um, I think this game is going to be really interesting. I have Michigan moving on. I predicted this game. I think you did as well. Yes, sir. Um, but I have Michigan moving forward in this game. I think that they're going to outshoot Texas Tech, and they're not going to be able to keep up. I have Michigan in this game, too. I just love Michigan as a team. But I'll tell you what, man. Watching Culver in his first two games, God, that guy is a lottery pick. And he's he transitions so well into the NBA. The way he defends, the way he scores – inside and out he's creativity with shot making that guy is a fantastic player and if texas tech does pull the upset albeit a 3-2 upset it's going to be because he has a monster game yeah texas tech is uh getting some players down there i mean they had a lottery pick last year in zaire smith and then this year with culver i mean this this program's starting to really get built up hopefully that coach doesn't get snatched up too soon yeah, we'll see what happens. But obviously, like you said, they, they've turned themselves into a legitimate threat, and, and they went pretty far last year. So we're going to see what happens in this 3-2 matchup. I can't wait for this game. This is going to be so much fun to watch. Let's transition over to the South region. we got number one Virginia, who, dude, it looked like it was going to be deja vu all over again in the one sixteen matchup. They played so poorly against Gardner-Webb. And then they finally turned on the Jets. They won that game easily, and they looked about as good as you possibly can in the second round. It looks like all the nerves calmed down. And, um, you know, Kyle Guy and the rest of the supporting cast were just clicking on all cylinders. They're going to play number 12 Oregon, who I give you and Will credit. I did not even pick to win one game. I had them losing to Wisconsin. They beat Wisconsin and then won in round two. This is a 1-12 matchup. Does Oregon have any chance of the upset, in your opinion? No, not at all. Virginia's defense is too suffocating. Okay. I'm looking forward to this game. I, I think that, you know, I have been surprised by Oregon. I have been screwed over a couple times by the Pac-12, which you guys predicted would kind of come out of the woodwork come tournament time. I didn't want to believe it. I thought they sucked, and uh turned out I'm the idiot. Now, Purdue and Tennessee wow, are going to play each other. Stop yourself. Purdue and Tennessee are going to play each other tomorrow night as well. The 3-2 matchup, 
here in the South. Purdue is a three seed. This is a blowout. Two. This is a blowout. I had I had Villanova in this game. I did not have Purdue same, advancing. Same as me. And Purdue handled Villanova very well, and I give them a lot of credit. I Tennessee, honestly, I opinion, honestly take Tennessee. You know, I have them winning it all. I don't they take have much their from scare that. already, man. They're ready to go. They're I don't kill Purdue. To be honest, I don't take much from Purdue beating Villanova because I mean, the Big East clearly they don't have any teams moving for, forward. I think everybody's eliminated. It was a weak conference. Yeah, well, and I'm not going to talk St. John's. The, the season's over. I'm not talking about <laughs> it. Don't ask. You don't. You, you don't want to talk about St. John's round one. You know, a week ago we were we were ready to watch that game. It's Arizona State. Don't bring it up. Don't. Okay, I'll do. I'll do my best. I'll throw another shot in there at some point. But Tennessee, to me, had their scare. You know, they 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 should have lost to Iowa. Iowa came all the way back, and I think that was an indictment on Rick Barnes, not having that team ready to close that game out. They gave. They really played soft at the end there, and it took an overtime victory to to finally seal it. But I think Tennessee had their scare. I think they're going to come out clicking on all cylinders and just kill Purdue. I've been wrong about Purdue, so maybe this game's closer, but I, I think Tennessee wins by double digits. Let's finally transition over to the Midwest, the final region we have to cover. North Carolina's playing Auburn. You're a be- you're big fan of cheaters. Auburn. That's my squad. Seed. They had no business winning round one, and you know that damn well. But they could not have looked better in round two. But to be honest, dude, North Carolina, Kobe White, that team's killing it. I know you picked Auburn, and you're not going to be a fraud on me, but how do you feel about this game? Auburn's going to light it up. They're going to drop 90. What? I'm telling you, man. Are you saying that with your heart or your head? Both. They're hot (laughs) right now, man. The transition on this team, it's incredible. This team's so athletic. They can be the best team in the country if they play right. They're feeling hot after that last win against uh, Kansas. Will's fucking Jayhawks are trash. And I think they're just going to light it up. I think they're going to be scoring the high 80s. Well, obviously you picked them, so I can't tell you you're wrong. I just love the way North Carolina's played. And they have looked so good. They have not looked complacent. They have not looked bored. They have not looked like they're better than everybody else they played. They're playing like a one seed, and they're playing like the team that got super hot and was playing like one of the best teams in the country in the second half of conference play. Let's finally transition over to the last game in the Midwest. This is the Sweet 16. Houston-Kentucky in a 3-2 matchup. Houston the 3, Kentucky the 2. Kentucky's looked really good, but man, I'm telling you, so is Houston. I have Kentucky winning this game, playing North Carolina in the Elite Eight to decide the Midwest. As do I. But how do you feel about this game? I don't think it's going to be easy for Kentucky. I just don't. I think Houston's going to give them a run for their money. I see this game being something like 68-66, 68-65, something along those lines. Houston's really good. Oh yeah, it's not going to be easy at all. But I think Kentucky, because you know how Co- you know how uh, Coach Cal gets down there. He gets nervous. Um, he's starting to jump up and down on the sidelines. Maybe he'll get a tech. I don't know. But I think that Kentucky, with that talent, figures out a way to pull it back. And I think their best player, that sophomore, might be coming back. Oh, I think so too. I don't think he's NBA ready, and I think he's ready. I think he's. I think he's going to put the team on his back. Um, Kentucky, man. I mean, I, they're the. They're that team that always gets great in March. And we've talked about this on the pod several times. 
Houston is out for revenge, though, and I and that team is not to be taken lightly. I don't think this Kentucky's team is as dominant as they've been in the past, but I still like them to squeak this one out. This is it on Friday at ten. You bet your ass I'm staying up late for this game. I'm going to push myself, man. Wow. I like to go to bed early. I'm wow. For this one. Popping a couple Adderalls or something? Jeez, Sean, 9.30. Christ. I said it was like 9.59. It's like <laughs> 10. It'll probably start around 10.15 based off the other game. And it's just coffee, dude. I don't need anything else. Well, let, let's hope that they're blowing them out. Um, let's hope that they're blowing them out by halftime. You can go to bed early, get your, get your Z's in. I'd be happy about that, but I, I, dude, I'm gonna be honest with you. In that Tennessee Iowa game, I was like, okay, good. Tennessee's killing them. I'm not gonna even worry about this game. I'm gonna go have myself a nap. Wake up after 45 minutes, the game's a four point game with like five minutes left. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I gotta get back and pay full attention just to watch a halftime period. I don't know what's scarier, the fact that at 26 years old you got a nap, or the fact that can. 27, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm an the, old fa- man. the fact that 27, you I'm got an a old nap. Man. <laughs> You're, you're making dumb. fun of me on a rocking chair. I might as well prove your point, huh? All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So that's our Sweet 16 matchups right now. Obviously, everybody can follow our brackets. We're going to recap our brackets with Will at the end of at the end of the tournament and see who's the smartest. It's probably going to be me because, quite honestly, uh, obviously when it comes to these bets, I'm the better of the two of us, and I'm probably better than Will, too. So that's our NCAA recap. We had 100 um, grand on it, right, a piece. <laughs> yeah. take all? I think so. I think that's what we decided. Was there that many zeros or was it $10? I don't remember. You're going to have to remind me. Who, <laughs> who, sent the, who sent the Venmo request, man? Oh, it was me. Okay. I'll be the banker on that one because you know I just love cheaters, <laughs> so I might just go, go on a shopping spree. All right. That sounds good. So anyway, that's our NCAA recap. Um, Tom, anything else you want to say, my man? Um... Gronk in 69, all he wants now because he's retired, baby. All right. So here's the deal. We're going to cross over our NCAA pod into our Monday rundown because, let's be honest, we just recapped our Sweet 16. The games have been decided. We've picked our results. We're going to see what happens at the end of uh, Friday night and then heading into Saturday for the Elite Eight. Let's go into our Monday rundown on a Wednesday. You segued it perfectly because you're a really good podcaster. Gronk's retiring from the NFL. As a Jet fan, how heartbroken are you? I'm one of those respectable Jets fans that doesn't just hate him. Like I, I hate him, but I respect him. I respect Tom Brady. I respect greatness. Period. Um, I'm gonna miss the antics. I'm gonna miss you know the dildo getting thrown on the field against the Bills, and I'm gonna miss all the stupid ass quotes he had. <laughs> but to be honest, I don't know how much I'm gonna miss him because I think he's back by like the middle of the season, honestly. Thank you. Totally agree. I think so too. I just I, don't I think, think he wants to go through training camp. I think he wants to fuck around and you know, Bill Belichick's going to take him back. He's not like one of those other players where he was a fringe. Belichick was uh, thinking about cutting him, although he did planning on plan on trading him until Gr- Gronk threatened to retire. So I don't know, but I just got a feeling he's going to come back. What's going to be interesting to me is I don't think Belichick will ask will ask for him back, and he'll definitely not beg because it's Belichick, and he thinks everybody's disposable and 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 replaceable. I think it's going to be Brady, and who gets into that dirty old man's mind, Robert Kraft? It's going to be Brady's going to say, "Hey, listen, I want Gronk back. It's week eight. Dirty old five. mind. <laughs> We're five and two. 
Okay, we're five and two, but the Chiefs are seven and zero oh, or eight and zero, oh, and we got to win this freaking conference again. Gronk's been training; he's ready. After the bye week, he comes back. But sign him, and Belichick 100%. won't cry for him back, but he won't deny him coming back. Oh, and that's how 100%. I feel about this. I we have not seen the last of Gronkowski. If he does come back, it will only be with the Pats. I think the retirement, if we do, let's play devil's advocate, even though both of us agree that he will be back. But let's play devil's advocate. Here we go, Sean's favorite segment, devil's advocate. Everybody put your seatbelts on. All right, go ahead, Sean. Oh, I'm sorry that I like to play both sides of an argument and don't like to be completely biased about everything. Um, If he does stay retired, I can't blame him. The guy has been in five Super Bowls in a nine-year career and won three. He might go down as the best tight end of all time. And I think I undoubtedly so at this point. Huh? I think undoubtedly at this point he's the greatest tight end of all time. I mean, yeah, I mean, people are going to say Tony Gonzalez. People are going to say Antonio Gates. In my opinion, those guys nah. are compilers. Yeah, they're, I, I think, he's not nearly. They're not nearly Gronkowski the tight end that he is. Gronkowski revolutionized this position. And there's there hasn't been one since. I mean, Travis Kelsey's kind of close, but again, Travis Kelsey can't block like Gronk can. Gronk was a true extension of the offensive line. And I think, obviously, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's the greatest tight end of all time. And I don't blame him for retiring either. Again, you said five Super Bowls, he won three. Not to mention he had two major arm injuries. I think he broke his arm twice. And he had a major knee injury that um, Harris on the Broncos went out and, got, and took out his knee. So... I mean, that guy, it's not like he's gotten away scot-free. He's been banged up, so I wouldn't blame him for retiring. Don't blame him at all. We'll see what ends up happening. Obviously, you and I are both in agreement that he's going to come back at some point. But you know what, man? If he doesn't, hell of a career, first battle Hall of Fame career, you can't draw it up any better. And I think these guys are very much aware in today's NFL of I need to preserve myself for the long haul. I mean – He's made his money. He can go do a bunch of other things that he wants to do. He he plays like a bull in a china shop, you know? Like the guy the guy plays the most physical style of football you can imagine. He's taken hit after hit, injury after injury as you alluded to. And it's over, you know? Like it, it's he doesn't have to put himself through this. Even at 29 years old, you know, he's probably got the body of a 58-year-old. So call it quits. If he has to come back, it'll be sparingly and it'll be kind of as a hired gun. I think Brady would be able to talk him into coming back, especially if they're in the same position next year as they've been, you know, in every year previous. But if this is the end, we saw one of the greatest players of all time just call it a career. And listen, regardless of how you feel about him based off your fandom, what a pleasure he was to watch. Absolutely, and he can enjoy his second career as a WWE superstar. Oh, dude, he's going to kill it. It's going to be awesome. Second NFL note and the last NFL note, we're not going to go into draft talk just yet, but we're going to talk about the new rule change that was put in place. And I'm going to be honest with you, I freaking hate it. I think it's so bad. The NFL just instituted a rule that all offensive and defensive pass interference calls can be reviewed. Also, all no calls can be reviewed. My man, 
I'm all for making up for mistakes. And obviously this was triggered by the no call in the NFC championship game that led to the Rams going to the Super Bowl and not the Saints. But come on, if you're going to do this, just put in robot officials. Just have the camera dictate it. I feel that you and I feel the same about baseball. If there's going to be human judgment put into it and the human element put into it, then you know what? Just have that and own your mistakes. Previous to this year, I can't remember a call being so egregious that cost the team a trip to the Super Bowl. And if you feel like it's that big of a problem, let's just eliminate human referees. We have the technology to make calls purely based off cameras. You and I sitting from our houses could have made the decision that that was clearly a pass interference, a face mask, and basically anything else. I hate this rule so much. I really do. How about, how do you feel? I don't hate the rule. I hate the um, pass interference on a non-call. I just think that's going to be too often, and it's really going to slow down the game. Here's my thing. They don't review a non-scoring play if a guy f- technically fumbles at the one-yard line, but he actually scored. So what the referees do to save their own asses is that they call it a score, and then if he didn't score, you review every single scoring play and every single turnover. They go back to the monitor, and they determine, okay, it wasn't a score. He's at the one. So just call pass interference more often, and then they can challenge it. And if it wasn't, then fine. That 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 has a little more chess piece with the coaches using their their challenge is wisely, and I think that's like the the non pass interference review is just too much for me. I think it's going to happen too often. Listen, and this is the technology that we're seeing across all sports. You know, if if you want to get rid of the terrible calls, the technology there's a mechanism for implementing that to make sure that every call is considered right. But if you want to continue to employ human beings, human error is going to be a constant. And listen, I understand that that cost the Saints a trip to the Super Bowl. Everybody knows that. Even if you don't watch football, you knew that that was not legal and not allowed. But that was the first time that it's happened. In how many opportunities? Those things don't happen. So if you really think it's that paramount, just institute some kind of technology that's going to dictate the call on its own. The referees can challenge you call into a call center, you know, wherever the NFL call center is. I think it's in LA and then they can make the ruling from there. They'll have referees in there and say, yep, that was clearly a penalty. Okay, fine. You, you can't continue to have this contradiction of human element and we need to make it better. The human element is going to have judgment lapses they're going to have errors i don't like this at all it slows down the game tremendously i'm fine for watching a football game especially if my team's playing because it only happens once a week but i don't want to watch a four and a half hour game because coaches decide in the second quarter to challenge a no call pass interference you know i mean just speed up the game let's just keep it going this is going to happen unless you just want to eradicate the human element in which case I'd like. I'd rather hear the NFL say there will be no human being referees starting in 2019. That will never happen. Agreed. So let's not try to basically take all the power out of their hands. That's what I'm saying. Agreed. I don't like this rule at all. It's it's really ridiculous to me. It goes too far. People live with mistakes. Players live with mistakes. We saw, you know, Cody Parkey missed the field goal, and he has to deal with that. We see human element on the field as far as the players make mistakes that cost teams. We saw D Ford 
line up offside that cost the Chiefs a, a championship or a Super Bowl appearance. Let's let the referees do the same thing. All right? It's, it is what it is. And the NFL has been just fine. If something that egregious happens, you hope it doesn't happen again. And in all likelihood, it won't for a very, very long time. Anyway, that's the new rule that's been implemented in the NFL. And we'll get to enjoy four-and-a-half-hour-long games instead of three-and-a-half-hour-long games this year, man. So in case you wanted your football Sunday to last longer, I think it just did. Yeah, I just don't want it to be, like, commercial-filled. But, hey, what can oh, you do? Oh, are you kidding me? They're going to they're gonna milk that to every opportunity that they get. More AT&T commercials. Look forward to that. Great. Let's, let's... head over to the NBA. So let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, they won a great game last night against Houston in an MVP versus MVP matchup, but we'll get to in a second. Giannis versus Harden. But the Bucks' injuries are starting to pile up. Miritich is out. Now Brogdon's out. Gasol is out. This team is riddled. Do you see them consider continually being the number one seed in the East heading into the playoffs, or is their chance at a possible conference final appearance and a conference championship starting to dissipate a bit? Well, I think they're definitely got the uh, number one seed locked up, and I still think they're going to make it to the conference finals. I picked them to go there. Uh, Brogdon should be back in the second round. I think Miritich should be ready for the playoffs. And I just think with Giannis, they put the right players around him. They really built a strong roster around him. And this team looks near unbeatable with him on the floor. I agree with you. I really just want to see the extent of these injuries and how long they're going to take. I think they'll dispatch of whomever they play in the first round, and that should get them ready for the second round with a little more health. Eric Bledsoe has been really good. Obviously, Giannis is probably the MVP at this point. And the rest of that supporting cast has been good enough. I mean, they have that one seed seemingly locked up. They should have no issues with whoever they play in the first round, and then they're going to head into round two probably a lot more healthy i like the way they can stretch the floor i think that team is set up to head to the eastern conference final whether they win or not is still to be determined but i think the injuries are a concern i mean this is not the time of year that you want to be going through this with a lot of your significant players um but i think they are equipped enough to handle it at least through round one of the postseason moving on down there's two teams in each in one team in each conference two teams total that have really been struggling as of late and I know this sounds like a recurring pattern, and we don't mean to for it to be, but we got to call it as it is, man. The Boston Celtics, God, do they look like they just do not like playing together. That team is the definition of underachieving due to poor team chemistry. Do you disagree? Too many guys, man. Too many guys. I, You know... Is it time for me to throw in the towel on the Celtics as I've been pounding the it table for them be. all year? I've been telling you, I've been telling you for a couple months now, man. This is not the team that we thought they were going to be. I don't know, man. It's it's really depressing. Um, I mean, honestly, I just think there's too many players there. And then I saw something on ESPN. Oh, the the Celtics won last night without Kyrie. Blah blah blah. Guess who they played? The fucking Cleveland Cavaliers. I think me and you out there could have gone out and beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh, for sure. But we have a little more grit, and we're really good teammates. True. I'd be banging threes, setting you up. It'd be pretty nice. It'd be nice to get out there <laughs> I'll and get, get all the garbage points down low. Yes. But no, I, in all honesty, though, you're 100% right. They, they should beat the Cavs, even without Kyrie. Tatum, to me, though, he's really regressed this year. I oh, mean, yeah. Brown, Brown looks, looks like he 
Brown, Brown looks like, like he's like coming he into did. his own again. Yeah, Brown Brown has had a really good second half, and he's starting to turn back into the player that we saw last year. But Tatum's taken such a step back. I don't understand the kind of style that he's played. He doesn't get to the free throw line. At he's all. watching way too much, like oh six Kobe. Like it's all fucking mid range. Like I don't get well, it. Well, you know, Kobe and him were working out, and Kobe got in his ear. Don't like that. So and that's that has obviously seemed to be an issue because last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, dude, this looked like a guy that was going to carry this team for years. And yeah, still, I mean, they know, considered him untradeable. Slump, but yeah, I mean, this could be a sophomore slump for sure. And well, I right mean, to, the thing that makes up, me but, nervous, and obviously he can correct this just by watching tape and working out over the summer, but you're not taking threes. You're averaging less than two threes a game. You're hitting less than one three a game. That's a big red flag for me in the modern NBA. And you're not going to the free throw line and you're not going to the basket. I mean, you're taking literally the most inefficient shot in basketball. That, like, if if I was a coach in the NBA and somebody takes a mid-range two-pointer instead of stepping back for three, I'm immediately taking you out of the game and I'm verbally fucking abusing you. You're pulling an Izzo? Yeah, I am. Because it's just, it's the let's do some fucking basic math here. If you step an inch, you know, you step 30 inches back from where you were going to shoot the ball from, it's actually worth one more goddamn point than the one in front of that. <laughs> did you know that, Sean? Yeah, actually, I did. It's pretty remarkable. And you're right. I mean, I think, and that was, the aggressiveness hasn't been there. The decision-making hasn't been there. He hasn't been the kind of guy, and I think part of it's Kyrie. I think the best thing for him next year will be for Kyrie Irving to be off of this team so he can kind of embrace this team to be his own like he did last year. Yes, Rozier took over and as point guard and had a tremendous postseason. Jalen Brown was great. But that was Jason Tatum's team in the making, and you could see it. And without Gordon Hayward, who's really not an alpha dog, so I don't think it's so much him. I think it's Kyrie. I think Kyrie doesn't love the way he plays. I think Tatum's a bit skittish when Kyrie's on the floor. When he's off the floor, he plays a lot more efficiently and plays like the dominant player on the team. And that's what I want to see from Tatum. And it seems like that chemistry, it's just not going to get rectified. I think they'll win a first-round series simply based off their talent. But that's about as far as they're going to go. They don't have that chemistry of the Bucks and the Raptors. They don't have the consistency of the Bucks and the Raptors. And this team has just fell off all year, and, and one of your sports fathers has just underachieved. I'm really disappointed, man. I'm, I've moved on to um, to Cashman. Well, tomorrow is opening day, so we can look forward to that, and uh, you can kiss Brad Stevens goodbye in another month or so. For the rest of the season. I'll be back next year. All right, so real quick, who's your MVP right now, my man? We saw Harden and Giannis square up last night. Giannis. They don't guard each other. It's Giannis. Giannis, period. The guy's better defensively. He does more on the floor, and he's averaging, like, what is it, 28, 13, and, and 7? That's insane, and he's only playing 32 minutes a game. That's just insane. I understand Harden had 60 a couple nights ago, and he's having an incredible year. He's up over 36 points a game, but, I mean, Giannis is just, he's just the MVP, period. Can I tell you how much fun this conversation is this year as opposed to others? Oh like, my god. This These... is this is by far the best MVP debate because you can't really even if somebody argues the other side, you can't really tell them they're wrong. 
because both have been so tremendous. I mean, we've had some dry like, years as MVP. I mean, going back to a couple of years where Steve Nash won and Dirk Nowinski won, I, and Kobe won that one year in 06. That was basically a makeup for a few years back when he actually should have won the MVP. These guys would have won it head and shoulders with these numbers. It's just insane. I mean, I wish we could carry it over to next year and just give Harden the award next year if, if, if uh, Giannis takes a step back. I wish that too, man. I mean, this has been so fun. And I'm actually going to go with Harden. And you know how I feel about Harden, and you know how I feel about his style of play in the Rockets heading into the postseason. I can't argue with you. The team's third in the West, and they were missing like four of their best players or three of their yeah, best players and I'm for a use, stretch. And I'm going to use exactly the example that you have been using on this podcast since you know mid-January is who's his best supporting cast member before Chris Paul came back? Austin Rivers? Like he has single-handedly not only kept them afloat, but put them in the third place in the West. This team's a juggernaut again, and it's literally only because of him. Now, I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think they're coming out of the Western Conference. I think they're going to lose to the Warriors again. Well, you know how I feel. I know, and and you're crazy. But I'm going to take Harden. And that's not an indictment on Giannis. Giannis has had an incredible year, and if he wins, I'm going to say, yeah, he deserves it too. But just for the sake of argument, I'm going to take Harden as the MVP. This guy has just been next level this year. I mean, he's playing at a level of of, of a player that we haven't seen in a long time just from an individual standpoint. Plays in the Western Conference, by far the most most difficult conference. Some of the shots he's taken to beat the Warriors in Golden State, scoring 60 multiple times, having that streak of 30-plus points in a row, and being the only real threat on that team, being double teamed and having the best defender against him nonstop. He's been unworldly, man. And, and although Giannis has been incredible, the Eastern Conference, with the exception of Toronto, has been eh this year at best because Boston hasn't been the way that we thought they would be. Good way to describe it. Eh. You know? So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Harden in the Rockets, but I'm not I'm not that's definitely not an indictment on Giannis that that team and and he's had just a special year like you said. Absolutely. Let's look at the Eastern Conference playoff picture right now. Definitely. All right. So why don't we go down the down the line here? I got it pulled up. We'll go one to uh, one to eight. I'm excited about the eight seed. By the way, can't wait to get there. Is this your Orlando team? Yes. Ah, another week. Orlando's there. Yes. They beat they beat they beat the uh, the Heat last night on Chris Bosh night, so that's why they're in the eight seed. Right ah, now. that's tough stuff. But uh, great career, Chris Bosh, future Hall of Famer. Okay. Do you agree, agree. or no? No, I do. Okay. Third wheel with the Heat, but he was a great player for a long time. All right, so number one, we got the Bucks. They're the best team. I think they have the best record in the NBA by far. So best team. We already talked about them enough. Number two, Raptors. Number three, 76ers. Number four, Pacers. Number five, Celtics. Number six, Stan and Pat, they've been playing well lately. Your Brooklyn Nets. Number seven, the Pistons. And they haven't eight. played great, but they've gotten lucky that Detroit has not played very well lately. I, I think they look pretty good. I was watching some highlights with uh, D'Angelo eh. Russell against Portland. He looked good. I know, good. but they lost that game. I they, know, they but it's going out road. west. They finished that west coast, they went, they finished that west coast trip. They, they went two and four. Not all that great. Eh, that's true. But and they're at Philly tomorrow, which is probably a loss. Hey, you never know. They could surprise you. But we we did we left out the number eight seed, 
my, the most important seed, my Orlando Magic. <laughs> the most important. Ask me how many minutes I've watched of the Magic this year. I probably, I'd love to know. How many minutes have you watched? Probably less than 48. Is it only the Knicks games? Well, I mean, I watch highlights on NBA TV, but how often are they on national TV? And if anybody wants to Venmo me the money for League Pass, like, we don't get paid to do this. <laughs> I think it's about $170 a year. I mean, Listen, I'll, I'll man, put my Venmo at the end of this. Oh, backcourt of DJ Augustine and Evan Fournier have them as the eight seed in the East. I don't know what that says more about the East or Evan Fournier and DJ Augustine and Steve Clifford running that team. The East is tough this year, as as it has been for years. Oh, it's horrible. My Nets are the six seed, and they're two game. They're one game over five hundred. Hey, at least you got something to look forward to. So, uh, anything stand out to you in the Eastern Conference? I mean, we've pretty much already talked about it. The Bucks are amazing, and the Raptors are right there with them. I think you had the Raptors going to the finals this year, and I got the Bucks. I do. I have the Raptors going to the finals, but I will tell you a couple things. One, we touched upon it very briefly, but the the Bucks injuries are are definitely a, a point of concern to me. Because although they have the one seed all but sealed up, I want to know how healthy they're going to come be come round two. And whoever they end up playing, it's not going to be an easy matchup for them. And then I'll tell you this. If the season ends today, and I know I just said that they're going to get killed tomorrow night, and I think that they will, just because they're, they're wrapping up a long road trip and they got to finish in Philly and Philly's healthy and ready to go. But that nets... Sixers matchup and I've said it a couple times on the pod you've heard me and and everybody else listening has heard me that's the matchup I feel best about for my Brooklyn Nets the Nets are fearless and the 76ers are the one team that you know they don't want to play the Nets because the combination of Jared Allen and Ed Davis can actually kind they're not going to shut down Joel Embiid but they'll neutralize him the Nets guards especially when Dinwiddie's on the floor, is not fun for Ben Simmons to have to play against. And because they lost as much depth as they did, if Jimmy Butler doesn't decide to go, you know, Chicago Bulls Jimmy Butler and hit a couple game winners against the Nets in the postseason, I don't think the Nets really mind playing them. Hollis Jefferson can lock down on defense against especially Tobias Harris. Now you're going to lose some offense there, but he can play defense. Karis LeVert's back and healthy, and it seems like he has a groove. And D'Angelo Russell has kicked up to that next level where he can score with anybody, and he's probably the most prolific scorer on the court for both teams if the season were were to end today. I won't predict the Nets will win, but I think this is a six- or seven-game series. You're really talking yourself into it, huh? I'm not. I I, I felt this way the whole time. Now, if they they fall down and the Nets have to play the Raptors, I think that's a five-game series. I think the Nets will steal one but the Raptors are exponentially better. I don't think the Nets stand a chance against Milwaukee. They still play twice more during the regular season. I think the Bucks will wipe the floor with them both times, even with the injuries that they have. But I think that Nets Sixer series is really, really good. All right, man. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I think I think they're pretty much locked in. I don't think there's going to be too much movement. And I definitely... The only question is the Nets have the hardest schedule remaining the rest of the way, and if the Pistons just pick it up a little bit, I could see the Pistons taking that six seed away from the Nets, where the Nets have to play the Raptors. In well, Blake seven. Griffin is having probably a career year as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, they're, they, they don't have a very difficult remaining schedule, so I think that they're, they're in a pretty good shape, too, if the Nets slack off a little bit to, to take that six seed. 
All right, so let's move on to the West because the East down at the bottom, there there's going to be a little movement. Obviously, the Magic and the Heat are neck and neck and a few other teams. The West is pretty much set from 1 to 8. It's just a matter of seeding because the 9 seed are the uh, the lovable Sacramento Kings at 37 and 37. So the 8 seed is the Spurs at 43 and 32. So they're pretty far out. I don't, I don't see that happening. What a credit to the Spurs. And it, doesn't it sound stupid that we have to credit the Spurs at this point? But that team was dead and gone at the end of that rodeo road trip. I mean, they lost to the Knicks. They got blown out by the Nets. They were horrible. And they are now on a level where they just destroyed the Celtics. They've played phenomenal basketball. And if anybody needed any more validation about Greg Popovich being the best coach in the NBA, well, here's case why for why he's the best play, best coach in the NBA. Yeah, man, he's been the best coach for a really long time. Not to mention, at the beginning of the year, they lost to Jante Murray as well. Yeah, dude, before the season even started. I mean, they've had LaMarcus Aldridge, who had 48 the other night against Boston, and DeMar DeRozan, who was really settled in, and then a cast of, you know, Forbes and Rudy Gay. And I mean, they're just, it's amazing what they get out of that group of players. It's every it's year, man. Every year. It's remarkable to me. Every single year they do this. But let's start off with number one, and uh, that is the Golden State Warriors. They have dethroned the Nuggets as the number one overall seed. Uh, well, they're tied for number one, but it's seemingly in their sleep they pretty much did that. Number two, obviously, I said the Denver Nuggets. Number three, the Portland Trailblazers have climbed up there. Number four, the Houston Rockets. Well, real quick note on the Blazers. Nurkic is out now. Broken leg against the Nets in that double overtime. I saw that, man. He's done for the year. That's going to kill them. them. McCollum's been out, too. McCollum will be back for the playoffs, but that that Nurkic injury, because he was playing amazing. Him and and D. Lillard really developed a good good pick and roll. They really did. And, you know, the Blazers got destroyed by the Pelicans in the postseason last year. They got swept. And I feel like that's a team that's built for the regular season more so than the postseason. But with Nurkic playing the way that he was playing, I thought that team was for sure set up to win a first-round series. And now I, I, I don't believe so. No, I don't think so at all, especially with who it looks like they might be playing at six with the Utah Jazz. So four are the uh, Houston Rockets, five. The surprise of the NBA, in my opinion, um, the Los Angeles Clippers after How trading away everyone. Dude, they literally tried to tank like three times, and, and they just the wouldn't give it up. West. I mean, and the guys like they got that they got from Philly, and, and a couple guys that they got in other trades. They're not only playing, but they're playing significant minutes and scoring and playing in roles that you never would have believed. I'll tell Doc you what, Rivers, I think this is Doc Rivers' best coaching year ever. I agree with the you. The team that won for Boston. I'll, I'll tell you what, if if Boonholzer wasn't coaching. After what after what Giannis went through last year in the Bucks, and how much of a joke that was, and how much of an upgrade Budenholzer is as a coach, I think Doc Rivers would be coach of the year. I think I think Coach Bud in, in uh, Milwaukee has to take it, just because of what he's done with this team this year, and they yeah, also I, have fifty six wins. You on that for sure, you can but see the discrepancy there. For Doc sure, Doc Rivers is a close second. Yep. No, he. I mean, this is his best coaching job by far, and I don't think it's close, including that team that won it all in 08. Number uh, six is the uh, Utah Jazz. How do we feel about that? Just to finish up on the Clippers real fast. 
I think that they've done so much to attract mega free agents. They're getting two. They're getting two guys this summer. Holy shit, that's bold. I think they're getting two max guys this. They're summer. basically Brooklyn Nets West. You really feel that way? Yeah, I do. You feel I, that I way for that, the Brooklyn Nets of the when, East, the Brooklyn Nets. Well, I think one of the max guys is going to be Russell resigning, and they'll okay. t- and they'll get and they'll get another guy. But I think I think the Clippers. I mean, just having Doc and having. And and having Balmer as the owner, I mean that team, and of course Jerry West running the the front office, dude. What they've done this year, you you can't make it up. They've tried to lose in every conceivable way, and they won't. And the amount of cap space and the and the open players that they have, and the culture that they build out there, especially with the demise of the Lakers, that team's set up for sustained success. I agree with you, man. So moving on to the next one is the Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell's been playing really well of late. Following that, a team that we want to talk about, and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder. They seem to have really fallen with the Paul George injury, trying to work his way back. Obviously, last we got the Spurs, but we already spoke about them. So how do you feel about the Thunder recently? Not very not very good. Yeah, obviously. Uh, there's a lot of concern going around Oklahoma City. I mean... Westbrook's had a, a much more efficient year than he ever has before. But if let's just put it this way, man. Paul George was playing like an MVP candidate for a while there, and although he was not going to win, he was at least a finalist and, and, and playing like somebody that deserved a couple of votes. If he's out, that team's screwed. I mean, to me, they're kind of the same old, same old. Like They don't, they don't do a lot for me. I can see when they win why they're really good. But when they lose, I'm not really surprised. I never look at them and I'm like, wow, I'm surprised they lost. Like, if Westbrook's jacking up, you know, 30 shots a night, they're probably going to lose, and they're probably going to lose pretty handedly. So I, I I think that they're in a world of trouble. It depends who their matchup is. I think that they're talented enough to steal a couple games, but it, it, I, I, they definitely concern me. I, I think Denver would have a pretty easy way with them, don't you? Yeah, man, I completely agree with you, and it's crazy because earlier in the season, I think they were up there in the top four, and we were really liking them. I, I was Dude, saying not only in the beginning Western of the season, Conference Finals. rewind a couple weeks ago. Yeah. No, they've, they've really fallen. And, End I mean, of February, they were the number four seed in the West. I think that's a testament to how great of a year PG is having as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that injury has set them back tremendously. And, and to me, is they just don't have the guys – Obviously, when you're trying to replace an MVP finalist candidate, you know that's going to be difficult. But it seemed like Westbrook really found that great complement with PG thirteen, and, and everything seemed to be going well. And then all of a sudden, it's just okay. Now Westbrook has to go back to Westbrook, and it hasn't worked out all that well. Yeah, you knew he was going to regress to the mean eventually, though, right? No, I I think he found a really good. I think he found a really good rapport the way he had been playing with this version of Paul George. I, I think that, the, you know, his efficiency rating has been by far the best in his career. He was shooting at a better clip, and his usage rate was the best that it's been in a really long time. But now with George out, he has to be the primary guy again, and that's clearly not what when the team is at its best. So I, I wouldn't say it was going to regress in the mean. I, I would say more as if, if – if a major injury was sustained, which it has been, he would have to carry the load, and that's just not what he's capable of doing. Good point, good point. He was playing really, really well with George, and they were uh, they were vibing. Let's just say that. Yeah. 
So anyway, that's that's where we're at right now. Can you believe, man, that in two weeks we're gonna have we're gonna be ready for postseason NBA? I can't wait. I just want to fast forward to that, man. I'm th- th- I don't like this part of the season. It's kind of a lull. I just want to watch the Knicks lose their last couple games. Just well, peek in, watch no them down twenty. You should have no problem with that. They are the the tank has definitely been completed. Good job by Fizdale this year. They um, hey, we don't do. We did a whole podcast without talking about your Knicks. No, we didn't. Don't bring it up now. We we just talked about them and St. John's. It's depressing. But let's move on to you some MLB. You did it. You're, you're bringing the depression upon yourself. I know. I know. Let's move on to some MLB, some more exciting news. So, I guess uh, the Mets don't listen to Mike Phillips' pod uh, or ours, and they went completely against your will and went ahead and gave Jacob deGrom an extension. <sighs> Same old Mets. Same old Mets. And I was shocked at how much public applause that they got from really respected people in the business, like Tim Kirchin, Buster Olney, all on down the line. This makes no fucking sense, dude. None. Why are you giving a 31-year-old starting pitcher a five-year deal when he has two, two years, counting this year, left of team control? This is the year of demarcation now, my man. If he gets hurt or he underperforms, this is the year that Met fans are going to look back and say, Jesus fucking Christ, I can't believe we did this. And that's 100% right. Because you had another year to play with. And we, when we go on down the line at the litany of extensions that have been handed out over the last week, which is just ex- insane and really speaks to the way the, that Major League Baseball is going, I just don't understand it. I don't. Here you have a guy who's under control through 2020. He's making $17.5 million this year off arbitration. You're a team, you say, go out and pitch the best you can. And you know why they did this? Because they're a reactionary ownership and they're reactionary general management and they're reactionary fan base. Oh, my God, we can't go out there. you got Syndergaard who's yapping about why DeGrom hasn't been signed yet. You've got the fans clamoring for it. Why? Because they're so afraid that he's going to leave. Well, you know what? If you just look at the landscape of Major League Baseball, let's say he plays out his entire contract to the year two th- through the end of 2020, and he's 33 years old. Who in the hell is signing a 33-year-old right now to a five-year deal? Can you tell me who? Because Dallas Keuchel, who finished si- thir- first in the Cy Young in 2015 and is two years removed from a really good year in 17, still doesn't have a job, okay? So you tell me that Jacob deGrom is going to fetch a five-year deal at the age of 33 off of Tommy John surgery already in his injury past, and he's going to get $145 million. Great. You know what? If somebody does, then the Mets shouldn't sign him. Let him go. This is the same thing to me that was the argument with Harvey. Because after he walked off the mound in the eighth inning of Game 5 of the 2015 World Series, before he went out that, back out there for the ninth, it was over. Met fans wanted this guy signed. He's the dark knight. He started an all-star game at their home stadium. And thank God that they didn't do that. Because look where he is now, in Anaheim, okay, toiling in a mediocre career. After the Mets DFA'd him last May. It makes no fucking sense why you give this guy an extension now. It doesn't make any sense. And I don't want to hear that they had to do it. They didn't. They had no 
reason to do this other than their reactionary fan base and their own players calling them out. And they said, oh, my God, we can't possibly let this go. It's going to be a distraction. No, it's not. Shut up and perform again. Be great. And next year, when you have one year left in your deal and you have another tremendous season and maybe the team wins a World Series like Chris Sale and Boston just did, then you give him the five-year extension. You reward him for that, and he's good. If he gets hurt and the Mets – part of me wishes he does get hurt just to blame it on the Mets for being oh, reactionary shit, and being this impulsive. I love Jacob DeGrom. He deserves to be paid, but he deserves to be paid when every other star pitcher deserves to be paid. He's not a position player. You don't give him a Trout-type deal. You don't give him a Hicks-type deal. You let him play for another season and see how he does. It makes no sense, and this is classic Mets. How's that for an argument? Well, I have nothing to say in argument to that because I agree with everything you said except just a quick disclaimer, no one at Sorry Sports, this is me speaking as the CEO, wants anyone to get hurt. This is only due to the Mets. It except Patricia. Matty <laughs> P, you can this fall down a set of stairs. This has nothing to do with the ground. This is all the Mets. And you know what? Honestly, man, this is, this is the equivalent. And I heard this used on another sports medium, and I thought it was the greatest freaking analogy. This is the ugly girl that puts out because she's afraid that nobody's going to stay with her. That's it. Because the Mets are so afraid that their best players are not going to resign because it's the Mets, and they can go somewhere else, and they can win because the Mets have a history of being poorly run and not winning, and every opportunity they have to be a dynasty they fall flat on their face. That's that analogy. I think it's so applicable, and I'm sorry if it's a little raunchy, but you know what? Fuck it. That's exactly what it is. The fan base is so afraid that DeGrom's going to leave in two years and sign somewhere else and not deliver them a World Series and, again, a Met icon not finishing his career with the Mets. You know what? Again, you don't even have to get to that point. Sign him at this time next year. That's fine. You don't have to do it now. There is no reason to do it right now other than the fact that the fans are yelling about it and players on their team are speaking out about it. Who cares? And this, in my opinion, to be honest with you, man, is an indictment on Brody Van Wagenen. He was DeGrom's agent. He had been negotiating this into last summer when he was playing the other side as his agent and trying to get him the deal. The deal didn't get done, so you knew the pressure was on. And also, this guy's walking around the clubhouse like he's the mayor. The GM's not supposed to be friends with the team. He's not supposed to be friends with the players. You're supposed to always be looking at a player that's better than the person you have playing that position to make the team better. And he's playing favorites, and you knew this was going to happen before opening day. You just knew it. So... Listen, the Mets locked up a great player, but it, there was no reason to do it now, and if it backfires, they have no one to blame but themselves. Out of all the extensions that were done, this was by far the dumbest. All right, well, uh, shout-out to the Mets for putting out. Um, but let's move oh, on. they put out, all right, like they, like they always have to because they're afraid that no one's going to stay with them because they're not relationship material. <laughs> Never. Thank you, Sean, for the uh, re- relationship advice. But let's talk about a player that no matter how hard you look, you will never find a player better. That is the Golden Prince. <laughs> the Platinum Prince. 
The platinum prints at this point. Which one is it, golden or platinum? Uh, well, platinum's worth more than gold, right? You tell me. I, I don't know. I got to look. But uh, whatever he is, he's <laughs> filthy fucking rich. Mike Trout gets signed to a 12-year, $430 million extension. That's obviously breaking all sorts of records. Bryce Harper just signed a $330 million extension, so they gave him $100 million more. Um, honestly, I can't blame the guy for signing the contract. I would have done the same thing, but enjoy playing with no one because they don't have any money to spend now because you took it all. This is such an interesting conversation, and everything about Trout said that this was going to be done. He loves playing for the Angels. He loves it out in L.A. I know there was a lot of speculation that he was going to come to either the Yankees or the Phillies, but I think just looking at the way he plays the game and his personality, he's meant for out there, he loves it there, and he wants to win there. But I'm going to just take a different route here. I think this is kind of an indictment on Mike Trapp. And the reason being is I don't think he's ever going to win there for the reasons that you just said. Where's the money that they're going to put out to other players to make him better and make that team better? And I think he should relish the opportunity to be a free agent in two years and sign somewhere where he can win. Like, this is old-time baseball which is kind of romantic in a sense where it's like, okay, you're going to spend your entire career with a team and maybe you'll win and maybe you won't. But at the end of the day, like you're going to stay with a whole franchise and, and try to win there. And that's admirable for sure. But that team's been in the playoffs once since he's been there. And they played three games and lost all three to the Royals in 14. And this is really I kind of look at it, I'm like, dude, that's great for being comfortable and get your freaking money. You are the best player of my generation, of both of our generations. Ever. You're going to go down as one of the top five players possibly of all time. Greatest ever. Stop it. But I I didn't love this. I don't think he's ever going to win there. And I don't think he's ever going to win either, but he could probably his, his buy the team and then... going to kind of be tarnished. I looked at this as complacency for him. He could buy thought, like a I major league soccer see, franchise and win a championship there. Who cares? At this point, take the money. I would have liked to see him take that deal like, and sign in the open market with a team like the Phillies and win a World Series or two, even if he's joining Harper and a, and a, and a team that's coming into their prime. Because Trout, for as great as he is, and if he never wins a World Series, you're going to look back because back in the 50s and 60s, there wasn't free agency. Teams were bound to a certain team unless they got traded, you know? So now you're looking at a guy who has the autonomy to control his destiny, has the ability to go where he might want to go, and he decides to stay in Anaheim, and on one side of the coin, you say that's admirable, and he wants to win there, and go good for him, and he's comfortable there, and and you can't you can't shit on him because of the how great he is. But the other part of me is like, man, you're not gonna enjoy the you don't you're not gonna put yourself into the pressure cooker of possibly trying to win a championship because that team's just never gonna be good enough. And I, I don't know. I think that's kind of. I, I think that's kind of something that you might have to bring up. I think if he were in the NBA, we'd be talking about how he doesn't want to win. Yeah, you got Am a point there, but 
you know, get your money and pull pull comes off the books. He was going to get his money anyway. But he I, was going to break. He was going to break Harper's amount in two years. Dude, by it's a hundred million dollars more. Come on. I understand, but I think he could have gotten that on the open market. I don't know and about that much Phillies money. If somebody puts that much money, breaking a record by $100 million, you got to take but it. But again, so are you uh, in it for the money, be coming or are you in books? it for the location, or do you really want to win? You can't tell me it's because you really want to win because you know Well, maybe they had a good pitch. Maybe they have a plan. What's their plan? You just said that they're not going to win. Pujols is coming off the book soon. I mean, come on. Where are they spending their money? Nobody's going to go there, and Trout is not going to be the reason that they win. They're going to need starting pitching. Nobody's going there. They don't have the farm system where they're developing players that they can sign to extensions. We don't know about Otani's future on the mound and in the batter's box. That team reeks of perpetual mediocrity. Hey, I didn't sign the contract, but maybe maybe they convinced him of something. I don't see them winning anytime soon. Oh, I, I don't blame him for signing the deal and, and getting the money and, and staying where he wants. That's great. I'm just saying that for his legacy... He's never going to win a World Series, and I think that's going to hurt him. Yeah, Especially I agree Especially in an with that. era where players can can dictate where they go. It's not like, you know, he can't ever leave there. He's electing not to. Well, so maybe, with, I mean, another argument that I could give you is maybe he didn't want to go to free agency. Maybe he didn't want to wait until, uh, you know, almost April as Harper and Machado did to oh, sign please. their deal. You know what, man? In all honesty, at that point, if teams aren't paying for, and he still would have gotten his money. He still would have gotten his money. We've seen, okay, maybe these guys had to wait a little bit, but they've got their money. He was going to get his money. He's the best player of our generation by far. He was going to get paid well over $330 million for 10 to 12 years. No problem there. And it was probably just a matter of, let me just get this done now, and I like Anaheim, and I like LA, and I like being here. And... You know, his personality is not anything like a Harper. You know, he's he's not somebody that wants the limelight. He doesn't love the spotlight. He wants to play. He's in L.A.'s second team. And, you know, he's probably happy and comfortable there. I'm not saying it's a bad move. I'm just saying if you want to look at legacy, it's going to hurt him, in my opinion, that he's probably never going to win a world championship. Looking at the Astros, they made, as you know, another AL West counterpart, the 2017 world champions, they locked up two of their main players. They signed Alex Bregman to a six-year, $100 million deal. Bregman's not eligible for free for arbitration even for two years. So they bought out his two arbitration, his couple arbitration years, and then his first years of free agency. He's an icon there and becoming one of the faces of baseball. Really good move for them. I think another really good team-friendly deal. And then look at what Justin Verlander just got. Two years, sixty-six million, thirty-three million a year. You want to say that they're not trying to win another world championship? No, they definitely are. And Verlander, I mean, we've spoken to it a bunch of times. He's definitely gotten a fire lit under his ass since he got traded there from Detroit. Bregman, he's one of the best young players in baseball, and I think they really got him on the cheap. He's probably going to be an MVP candidate this year. And locking up oh, Verlander for two years, I mean, listen, he's on the back end of his career. I think he's got well, a few really good three, years left in him. This year and then two after that. Yeah, I think he's got two, two and a half good years left in him. So, I mean, I don't think they did any wrong moves here. No, I, I don't either. That's a lot of money to give, but it's a short-term deal, and it's a guy who helped win them the world championship in 2017. If he didn't get traded over there, I think the Yankees would have been 
hoisting that championship trophy or at least been playing the Dodgers to see who would have won. Really good move by the Astros. They're still going to be a great team this year. Now let's move over to the 2018 World Series champions, as much as we hate to admit it. Chris Sale gets a five-year, $145 million deal from Boston in extension. And this was interesting to me because I think they could have kept him even if he hit the open market, although they're not seeming to investigate any kind of long-term deal with Craig Kimbrell. But Chris Sale, you know how often he was on the DL in the second half of the year? A yeah, lot. that's the only thing Shoulder that worries injury, me is his injuries. That guy's a time bomb. Yeah. Five-year 145 is a huge number and in, in years of commitment to give to this guy. To be but honest. Again, my whole argument to the DeGrom thing, he did it after winning them a World Series championship. Even if these never, if, if this deal does not work out for them or him, it's never not going to be worth it because they're signing him after a year in which he was an integral part of a World Series championship. And you can't blame the franchise for locking that guy up. I agree with you, man, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he missed 162 games at least to injury. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. I think it's incredibly risky, and I think it was reactionary. But, again, he's the ace of that staff. He's had some short bouts on the DL, but he's never had a significant injury, at least as of yet, although there's signs pointing in that direction. But he's the ace of that staff. They don't want him to hit the open market. They're going to lock him down now. And they're going to live with whatever ends up happening with them. Um, but I thought that was a very interesting deal right off the bat. The Cardinals traded for Goldschmidt this year. I don't know if you remember that. Of course I do, man. He's probably the best first baseman in baseball. Well, they liked him so much off their early impressions that they decided that they were going to give him a five-year, $130 million extension. And this is so Cardinals to me. And when I say that, I mean that's the antithesis of the Mets. They're a very well-run organization. They've done this with guys like Matt Holliday. They did this, obviously, with McGuire. They are a really well-run franchise. They got the guy that they believe is going to anchor their team for the next couple years offensively, and they make sure that he's not going to touch the open market until way after his prime. I would not be surprised if the Cardinals won a World Series with Goldschmidt. Great move by the St. Louis Cardinals. Love it. I have nothing bad to say about it. He's a great player. He got a good deal, and it's a team-friendly contract again. Absolutely. So the Rays then move on, and after there was a little bit of banter going between the two sides, you know, Snell saying that he was a little upset that he wasn't even in negotiations. Well, the former, the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner gets a five-year, $50 million contract, and this reminds me a lot of the Severino deal. I mean, the two guys kind of came up around the same time, and you're looking at Blake Snell getting a five-year, $50 million contract. He's getting $10 million per year, which is a lot more than the Rays are used to doling out, clearly showing that he's their, the, the ace of that staff and the anchor of that rotation, especially if we're a team that loves to use the opener. And I think this gives him a lot of security. And again, you're seeing the trend. These guys do not want to hit the open market. They want to sign quick, fast, and in a hurry because they're targeting that 2021 collective bargaining agreement you know, deadline coming up, and they're saying, oh, my God, there could be a strike or we're going to come up with something new, and I do not want to deal with the first few years of that. So let me get under contract. Let me stay where I want to stay and try to win. I think this was a great deal for the Rays, who don't like to give out this kind of commitment as far as dollars and years. 
but they did it for for the reigning AL Cy Young winner and a really great young pitcher. And for Blake Snell, he's saying, good, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to be for a while, and I can carve out you know, the beginning of my career, kind of be the next Chris, Chris Archer and um, James Shields and David Price down here in Tampa Bay. Yeah, and I think he's actually better than all of those pitchers you just named just by watching him. You think him this he's year. better than Price was with Tampa Bay? Price was pretty good, but I think Snell can be better, more consistent, and he won't get it hurt as much. Interesting. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, Price was kind of the gold standard down there. It was tough for them to trade him, but but I think yeah, I mean, the um, the interesting thing is that teams are really taking advantage of this looming collective bargaining agreement and getting these guys on some cheap deals. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. It, it, whether they're guys that have been traded over or more established or young players, I mean, obviously, we've touched upon the Yankees extending, you know, Aaron Hicks and, and, and Severino, and we see that that's just the direction that teams are going, and they want their young players to stay. And, and you got to imagine a guy like Aaron Judge, he's not going to sniff the open market. The Yankees are going to get him way beforehand. And I'm sure the Sox are going to look at something the same with Mookie Betts, and I'm sure the Astros are going to look at guys like Springer and Correa as well, and, and obviously countless other examples across the league, because the game is littered with really great young players. The last guy we're going to talk about is another starting pitcher that got locked up, former World Series hero in 2016. The Cubs are keeping Kyle Hendricks. They're he won the Cy Young as well, right? $55 million extension. Never won the Cy Young. Finishes a finalist, though, in 16. And I'll tell you one thing, man, this guy, he's interesting because he doesn't have the dominant stuff that a lot of the other pitchers that we've highlighted do. But the guy has guile, he has grit, and he knows how to win big games. And I think the Cubs who are at this crossroads of, you know, they're going to lose Lester soon. They've kind of had to stabilize the rotation through guys like you, Darvish, who hasn't worked out. They've signed a bunch of, like, middle-of-the-end guys to, to settle in and try to win. Hendricks is a real stable commodity in that rotation, and I think they recognize that and wanted to make sure that he didn't get away. Yeah, man, absolutely, because he's the type of guy, like you said, you don't really his, – when his stuff goes a little bit lower, he's still going to be able to uh, – he's still going to be able to get the job done. Yeah, I mean, he's never had electric stuff. I mean, he has very good stuff. And I think that there's something to be said in 2019 Major League Baseball starting pitchers. You don't have to have the best stuff. You just have to be consistent. I mean, the Yankees gave Jay Happ a two-year deal to literally just be consistent. And you see a guy like Lance Lynn, three-year deal with Texas, again, just to be consistent. And, uh, you know, Kyle Hendricks is a very consistent pitcher and, a real, and has obviously postseason heroics with the Cubs. That's a lot of extensions, man. So let me ask you a question. Big picture, philosophically, what do all these deals say about the current landscape of Major League Baseball, in your opinion? It says a few things to me. First of all, obviously, these guys watched the last two years of free agency and were just like, fuck that. Secondly, I already said it earlier, the baseball the baseball organizations are taking advantage of the looming collective bargaining agreement, the collective bargaining agreement, and they're, they're locking these guys up for cheap. And they want security, and these guys don't want to get to free agency. And the last thing, and you got to look a little bit deeper when it comes to this, there's so much young talent in baseball, it's ridiculous. I mean, the NBA and the MLB have had such an influx of talent. I think it has a little bit to do with the NFL and people being worried about concussions and playing other sports at a young age. But That's an interesting take. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, I think it has a lot to do with the more American-born players 
veering away from football. And I think it also obviously has to do with the, the influx of the, the um, international players. But they're locking them up at a young age, and there's so much young talent. These extensions are getting signed left and right. It used to be just the lower-end teams would sign these guys to extensions. But now it seems like everybody's doing it, and everybody's savvy. I couldn't Except agree the Angels. Yeah. Well, you know what, though, is like the one thing we didn't touch upon with the Angels is that's their that's their marquee player. Like, he's going to go down as the best player in that franchise's history. And they've had some really good players. But he's going to go down as by far the best. And you can't let a guy like that go. You know, you just can't. And that would be like the Yankees if the Yankees hadn't been winning letting Derek Jeter go. So it's like, how, how do you do that? You, you just can't. So you look at it from that standpoint, I'm in total agreement with you. These guys are seeing what's happening on the free agent market. And you can tell me whatever the hell you want. Machado got his money, 10 years, 30 million a year. Harper got his deal. 13 years, 330 million total. Manny Machado did not want to be a San Diego Padre. Bryce Harper did not want to be a Philadelphia Philly. We saw guys like Jake Arrieta not sign until mid-March of last year. It's been on down the line. Dallas Keuchel, a really good established pitcher, does not have a deal yet this year. And, and the reason being, and Craig Kimbrell, World Series hero last year, closer. Most saves upon active closers doesn't have a deal yet. These guys, general managers, analytics departments, owners, they see what's going on. They're not signing guys for what they've done. They're signing guys for what they can do. And what better team to know what your trajectory can be based off a few years than the team that already has you? These guys don't want to hit the open market at 29-30 because they're not going to get their deal. And that's why Jacob DeGrom, I'm sure, was pushing this contract extension. He knows he has two years left. I mean, he's horrified of the open market at 32 years, 33 years old. He does not want any part of that. What, is he going to get a two-year deal for some t- from some team that he doesn't want to be with? No. He wants to be a Met, and he's going to push the Mets to make sure a deal gets done while his market value is at the highest it's ever going to be. So on both the players' ends and the team's ends, it makes so much more sense that these extensions are being done. And I think this is going to throw a lot of cold water onto MLB free agency, which used to be a lot of fun and speculative and kind of like the precursor to what NBA free agency is now. I think free agency is going to be kind of dull going forward, man, don't you? Like this is going to be a lot of the great players are already going to get locked up. Unless some changes are made in the t- looming 2021 uh, collective bargaining CBA. agreement, I completely agree with you. Yeah. So, really interesting stuff, man. I mean, baseball is going in a direction that it's really done a 180 in the last few years. I mean, we saw Jacoby Ellsbury get that Yankee deal. We saw Cano get the Mariner deal. I mean, we've seen a couple outliers. And, you know, the money is there, the years are there, but now it seems like these GMs, they don't want to spend unless they think that, you know, those guys are going to push them over the edge. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to start at shortstop for the for the Padres this year. you got Machado and you've got Hosmer, and those they consider them their building blocks. And, you know, Philadelphia had a really good young nucleus. They were going to go after Harper. 
Nationals plugged in Corbin, but a lot of the great young players, they're not even going to get there. Arenado wants no part of free agency, happy to stay with Colorado. You know, like Trout now, the game's best player, deciding to stay in Anaheim, not even test free agency. That's problematic for, and if baseball wants to grow its sport, part of the, the best part of the season is the off season. You know, we've been talking about it in the NBA for how long? Like, we kind of want even just the season to end. Rain your, crown your champion just so we can get to free agency. And baseball was like that for a long time. Now not all that much. Um, quick end of the note here for baseball. I didn't put it on our show notes, but have to mention it. Congratulations to Ichiro Suzuki, who retired from baseball last week in that horrific opening start to the season in Japan where the A's and Mariners played games that apparently actually mattered that nobody could watch because they started at like 2 a.m. They've been doing that for a few years. I remember that back in high school. a couple times, but this year, the Yankees did it in like 04 with the Rays, but I still think it's horrible because that's not opening day. Tomorrow's opening day. Thursday the 28th is opening day. Regardless of how we feel about that, Congratulations to Ichiro Suzuki on a Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame career. One of the greatest players that we grew up watching. The guy did everything immaculately well. We were lucky to see him play for the Yankees for a few years, drive them to the 2012 AL East title, and then play a couple more years for him. Man, what a pleasure he was to watch. What, what are your lasting memories of Ichiro as he, as he goes out on top? Five-tool player. I mean, he didn't really show the pop-off a lot, but he could get a hold of one and send it a long way. I mean, he he could do everything. Great player. Cannon for an arm. Speed. Everything. Uh, Overall, seemed like a great teammate. Just a great career. And um, that's it. Future uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. Possibly unanimous. I echo that. I think he is going to be the next unanimous Hall of Famer. I think him and Rivera are going to be the only two that we've seen. I'd love to see the person that keeps him off his ballot. And for every reason that you just said, he is exemplary as far as what you imagine watching a baseball player. I mean, he did everything tremendously. He had the pop. He just chose not to use it. He was a speedster. He was a guy that hit the ball to the gap. He was electric on the base paths. He was electric in the outfield. I wish I could have seen him win a World Series because I think it would have been amazing. But you talk about the import of Japanese players over here. You know, Matsui having his career with the Yankees, and obviously you have a couple other great players that have been documented. None as decorated as Ichiro. And uh, all the great Japanese players that have come over here, you know, Tanaka and, you know, a bunch of others, that you, they look at Ichiro and he's, you know, he's a god. And, and rightfully so. Nicest guy. You can tell, you know, Jeter said he was one of the best teammates he ever had. He only had him for a few years. Congratulations to Ichiro on just a tremendous career and gets to finish it up in Japan playing for the Mariners, who he made his major league career with. I thought it was really cool and a nice way to bookend it. So congratulations to Ichiro. Good way to start the season. And Tom, happy opening day tomorrow, man. Happy opening day, guy. Um, I we will have the preview coming out soon, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, by the All Star break. Our baseball preview. If we had to leak it into a couple days into the season, that's totally fine. By the All Star break, pre- right? 
<laughs> yeah, by the All Star break. No, um, within the next within the next week. I mean, we'll we'll pump that out. I mean, there's a lot to get to, man. College basketball, NBA in full swing as the playoffs ramp up. NFL news is always going on, and um, with all these extensions, I mean, a lot of baseball off the field had to be brought up. So. The sports world is clicking on all cylinders. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. So we will have that coming out for you guys soon. Um, that pretty much wraps up this pod. So have a good night. Have a great night, guys. Enjoy opening day tomorrow.